you know, we're in 1 John. We've been here for some time. We're actually uh, seeing the end of this great book here in a few weeks. We'll be done before summer's end. I've really enjoyed this study. Today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 once again, but verses 6 through 12. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Well, nearly 14 years ago now, our family moved to Kansas City. And even in our initial visits, uh, there was conversation about one of the things that KC is best known for, obviously, barbecue. And so in the process of those conversations, not only in our visits, but in our first couple of weeks here, everyone had their own opinion of who or where they thought offered the best barbecue in the city. The big three at that point that we heard right away were Arthur Bryant's was one, uh, the second was Jack Stack, and the third was what was then Oklahoma Joe's, now Casey Joe's. And so Of course, we believed everybody. The testimony they gave, this is the best. Well, it's got to be, so we've got to try it for ourselves. So in the process of that, our family visited all three of those along with some others and came with our own conclusions after doing so that we felt like Oklahoma Joe's was uh, the top of the three. And so uh, that ran the line for Tiffany and I. Still to this day, we enjoy Joe's a lot. Our kids at that time, four and one. Tiernan and Ethan still thought McDonald's ruled the day. <laughs> and so they didn't agree with us. So we even had disagreement within our own home of what was the best in the city. They probably would have eaten one of those McRibs. I think they still make those things on occasion. And so that was the best barbecue. Well, in 2014, Q39 came about. And so Tiffany and I tried that. And now we're kind of a split decision of which is better, Q39 or Joe's. Regardless, personal opinion was right there. And we talk with everyone who has their own opinion of, of what is better. Uh, there are truths and there are opinions. George Washington, first president. There are truths about his life, his story, died on December 14, 1799, and so that is a, a truth. The fact that he was the first president is a truth, but the way he lived his life and what people thought of him varies. A personal opinion about who Washington was. Now, obviously, no one in the room has ever met George Washington. He died a long time ago, uh, but there were opinions about that. If you've seen Uh, the Broadway musical that was released a couple of weeks ago on Disney Hamilton, you know their picture of who George Washington was may have been a little bit different than we see in the history books. Did he really rap with all the other guys who he was around all the time? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, We'll never know that, or maybe we see him one day if he's in uh, the kingdom. We'll be able to ask him that question, but people have different opinions, different ideas of who people were and how they lived. And, of course, there's an artistic uh, fluctuation as far as how that goes and how that looks. Well, we've, we've seen over and over again in this letter by John that there were people then, which is still the case today, who had differing opinions of whether or not Jesus was actually the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate. And so we continue to, in this realm of talking about who Jesus was, relying on the truth of what was spoken of him, Old Testament, New Testament conversation of who he was. John was addressing these false teachers who were saying 
that in actuality, he was not the Christ. Or, actually, there was a time period when he was and a time period when he wasn't. These false teachers were communicating that Jesus did not take on divinity until his baptism. And then just before he went to the cross, his crucifixion, he released that divinity. So he was born as a normal individual, just like everyone else. And his death was just like that as everyone else. And so these false teachers who were respected were infiltrating the church, trying to sway people who were believers and dissuay those who were not yet followers from believing the truths about who Christ was. And so in the verses that we're going to look at today, John actually combats that perspective, those opinions, those, those personal positions that these false teachers were holding. And it begins by the very testimony of what God said, of who God said Jesus was. One of the ways that we interpret scripture is by looking at other scripture. And so we're going to do that a little bit in the mix of this morning as well as we look through these concrete truths that are very important for us to hold and to know. But before we read our passage, let's pray together. So God, this morning we say thank you for your word. And we thank you that what we are looking at today in particular, the testimony that God gave about Jesus is true, is understandable, and is important for us to know as we walk through this life relationally with you and relationally with people, not only those who are followers of yours, but for those who are yet to receive you, to surrender their lives. So this morning as we look through, we pray be with us, help us in this challenging and difficult passage for us. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read verses 6 through 12 of chapter 5, 1 John together. This is, who, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So John gives us the purpose for this, this statement of the gospel, who the person of Christ was, who God said Jesus Christ was. And there were three evidences or truths that God makes clear or made clear then and still makes clear today that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate. So the first one that we look at is this uh, evidence of, of water. 
Uh, Verse 6, again, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. There have been different interpretations, again, opinions of what the water was originally. But if we go back to John's baptism, Matthew, uh, actually uh, in, um, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, we see the baptism, Matthew chapter 3, we see the baptism of, of Jesus. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the the heavens were opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So we see this, this picture of Jesus going into uh, the body of water that John was in, and in the process of that, John again identifying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. I, I, I shouldn't be the one baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, well, this is the will of the Father, and so we're going to continue and pursue this, and you're going to baptize me. And so as he did that, after he baptized and he came up, uh, the Spirit descended on them like a dove, and the heavens opened, and they heard the statement of God. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. So God, in this moment of baptism, unlike any before or any since, revealed to the people who were standing there and to us as personal testimony that Jesus was the son of God. Jesus Christ was God. Of course, in the beginning of that and in other places all throughout the Gospels, we see Not just the name Jesus, but Jesus Christ. Because again, these false teachers were saying that he was a person, he was a good man. They they, they could believe certain things about him, even to the point where they believed for a portion of his life, about three to three and a half years, that he had divinity, that he was God, but, but that that was removed from him. And so it's important for us to know and to grasp and to see that God, one of his personal evidences of testimony of who Jesus was, that he was God, was this moment, the moment of baptism. So we have to go back as well to, to, again, the beginning of Jesus when he was conceived originally, Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, again, there Matthew, in his language, uses Jesus Christ, not just Jesus in the definition of who he was, but with this concrete truth of how he was conceived. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So we see this one and only time when this baby, Jesus, the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. The distinction again of his ability to be perfect. He wasn't born into sin. He was conceived in a way that was different. Okay, that's not new information. It's good for us to know and to have that. But for some reason, these false teachers did not believe in the virgin birth. They believed that Jesus was simply born of Joseph and Mary, and that was it, like everyone else. Well, the reality of that and God's testimony of that does not agree with what they stated. Why is that so important for us to know? Because if Jesus wasn't born in that unique way, if he truly 
was not and is not now the Christ, then all who say they follow Jesus, which includes the majority, if not all of us, who say we follow Jesus, have to wonder, why are we following this one who was born just as we are, who died just as we are? How could he indeed be the Messiah if all of those things were true? And in essence, then, we are wasting our time. Why not follow someone else? Someone else who was a great teacher or, or a good person. Why are we placing all of our faith and trust and hope in this one specifically for the reason of his being our Savior, our Lord, if it indeed was not true. We then see John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. John, again, the author of the first John, second John, third John letters, also the author of the Gospel of John, stating early on in his Gospel, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So it's not just uh, the fact of believing this testimony that was given by God about Jesus or by John about Jesus. It actually is the reality of whom we gain life in and from. The statement they were making then, he was a good man, at one point he was divine, but there is no life found in him. He is still buried and dead in the grave. So there was no other baptism like this. This was the first testimony, evidence of Jesus being the Son of God, God incarnate. The second is the blood. So for that, we look at the crucifixion of Jesus. We consider Mark chapter 1, verses 9 and following related to, again, his baptism, 1 John 4, 9 through 10, considering the crucifixion and the blood. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, propitiation by definition is atonement. Jesus taking our sin upon himself on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, which was what was required by God for sin to be forgiven, for us to be restored. He did that for us, taking the penalty and weight of sin upon himself, giving us the opportunity to surrender our lives and have relationship with him. The crucifixion, the blood spilled for us, blood shed for us, is critical. In John's argument, God's testimony that this is indeed my son. The world went dark for hours when sin was cast upon Jesus upon the cross. Distinguishing the fact that in that period of time, the Bible tells us that God didn't look, couldn't look on his son. He couldn't look on sin because of what was happening. Because of it being cast upon himself and that being heart-wrenching, heart-breaking for us, but life-giving for us. And that if that didn't take place, we would be hopeless. We would still be making animal sacrifices, would not be able to put our faith and trust and hope in the person of Jesus. We'd still be waiting, as some indeed today are, not believing that Jesus is truly the Christ. So we have this evidence of the blood we have the evidence of what we've talked about with the water given by God of who Jesus was, his son. 
doing that, but we also have the evidence of the Spirit. You'll notice uh, in that phrase, when that's mentioned, the Spirit is capitalized. So it's not just talking about or revealing a man's spirit or a woman's spirit. It's talking about the Holy Spirit specifically. And we also see in that truth. The Spirit is the truth. John 16, 13 speaks specifically to this. Once again, going back to John's gospel. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So we see another evidence, the Holy Spirit, when we read the Bible, when we commune with God, when we are walking in relationship with him, and we read the things that we do in the word. We either have confirmation of the Holy Spirit that we're living rightly, that we're walking with him, that we're growing in him, or there's a contrast to that or a a difference in that, that if uh, we are not followers of Jesus, or even at times when we're walking, if we're buried in our sin and the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, that we resist him, saying, well, I don't agree on that line, which takes away what? The lordship of Christ in our life. When we surrender our lives, we make him Lord. You know the phrase, Jesus is Lord. He is king. He reigns. The way he directs what he shows us in his word is the Holy Spirit leads and guides our lives. We're to listen and we're to obey. Even at times, if we don't understand or, quote unquote, our flesh doesn't agree, we still listen, we follow and obey. The Holy Spirit, truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. And so these three together, evidences of, truths of, testimonies of God about Jesus all correlate, all respond together. They're three in one. At that time, it was important in the court system for there to be three testimonies or evidences that were given to be able to confirm either the person was Guilty or, or not guilty. And so John, in the spirit of the day, talking about that from that perspective, the court system and what was done, provides evidence of these three truths. So it's one thing to listen to the testimony given by God about Jesus. We've heard it. It's another to believe the testimony that God has given about Jesus. That's the difference between those who have surrendered and those who haven't. Verses 10 through 12. Let's read those once again. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the real issue is not that God failed to present enough truth of who the person is. It's that people then and people now refused, refused, resisted and resist the truth. Hardening the heart to the point where they personally choose not to believe in the evidences that God has given about Jesus. 
We see that evidenced in conversations that we have with people all the time. This, this dullness or this, this hardness of heart that exists. And, and we, as if we claim to be followers of Jesus, again, should be walking in step with the Holy Spirit, communing with him, walking with the Lord in the way that people can see these truths evidenced in our lives and the way we respond to them, these individuals hearing all of these mixed messages, which was the case back then as well, these false teachers in particular who were respected. These evidences given, they were simply refusing to believe those were true. We know the truth of Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We know that is the reality of salvation. We also know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father, regardless of whether or not they've placed their faith and trust in him while living on this planet. The reality is that every individual, individually, will go before the throne of God and have to give account. And in that moment, they will either be seen by God as one who is covered by the blood of Jesus or not. If so, enter in eternity in heaven. If not, eternity separated from God in hell. So there's a a very important pressing issue and matter that John's addressing Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. God confirmed it, but it's not enough just to have a head knowledge of it. It requires surrender. I love hearing stories of how couples meet. When they fell in love and get married and and all of that, Tiff and I have our own story. 21 years ago, at the end of this month, we've gotten married, and, and I love being able to share that. But what if... For the sake of the argument, that's the extent of the testimony that Tiffany and I share. 21 years later, tell me about how you guys met. Here it is. Tell me about how you fell in love. Here it is. Tell me about your wedding day. Here it is. Tell me about what life's been like since then. I got nothing. We kind of live separately, live our own lives. We fell in love at one point, and, and over time, it just kind of drifted. Really can't even stand being together in the same room. Okay, that's not the evidence of Tiffany and I's life. <laughs> Thank heavens. You need counseling, no doubt. But how many couples is that the evidence of? For whatever reason, over time, we may be able to live on the past or We consider the past, and we realize there was a different day, but but something's happened over the course of life where there's no evidence of love currently. I'm not talking about the every once in a while have an argument, frustrated with each other. Everyone has those. Every couple has those. But I'm talking about the duration of what if the, the testimony of Tiffany and I's life, we're still married, we're still together, but 21 years, there's been nothing. terrible, miserable. There are people living in that in the reality, and we know them, don't we? We know couples that it's like that. 
it's heartbreaking. And you look at him and you say, there's got to be better than what you're experiencing. God has better for you in marriage. You're the picture of Christ in the church. You're supposed to be loved. You're, you're supposed to be this picture of the 1960s movie, movie scene with the couple standing at the sink washing dishes with music going in the background of the two singing, swaying back and forth right next to each other. And I'm not saying if we don't hand wash dishes, we're, you know, we're missing something. I'm not, not saying that, but I'm saying that Tiffany said when we watched that the other night, the, the movie Catch Me If You Can, when we watched that scene, she said, that's what I want to be like. Married for however long, senior adults still enjoying each other in tune. The testimony of their lives visible in a 30-second scene. Why in the world am I talking about this? Some of us surrender our lives to Jesus when we were eight, six, ten. And so when we're asked to recount our testimony 20, 30, 40 years before, that's where we go. I walked an aisle as an eight-year-old, surrendered my life. That's great. What's the testimony now? Is that the greatest it ever was? Was that the only moment? Or is there a running testimony and dialogue of how God's moving and working in your life? And do you share that with other followers of Jesus? Or do you always go back to the eight-year-old moment? You see, see, if that's the case, it is no different. If there's no interpersonal relationship and no growth and no love and no existing, here's what God's doing in my life now. It is no different than Tiffany and I getting married 21 years ago, and then I got nothing. Great that you got saved when you were eight. Awesome. What's he doing in your life right now, and how are you sharing that? Is there visible evidence of you walking with Jesus? I'm not talking about works. I'm not, I'm not talking about a works-based relationship. I'm talking about the evidence that you are communing with the Father, that he is number one in your life, and that you have this relationship, and in the flow of all of your relationships, people can see it and hear the evidence of it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what John's talking about. If it's simply this testimony of walking an aisle, Really? Is that what God intended for it to be for us? Some moment in time? If we read the New Testament at all, we've got to see, no. It should be vibrant. It should be this picture of walking, of loving. And while people may not say out of their mouths, who haven't surrendered, God is a liar. They may not even be able to, to picture themselves even verbalizing that. May not even realize that it's a core truth of their lives if they've refused Jesus over and over again. But that's the truth of it. That's the statement. By them not believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to live, die, rise again. There's a home for us waiting. This relationship, if people are denying that, they are saying that, the same as these false teachers, God is not the Christ. Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus is not God. 
And in doing so, if something doesn't change before they leave this life, they will be separated for eternity. That should, at the very least, motivate us to share about our love relationship with Jesus with people and to share the gospel so they can find the same that we did in him. It's life or death matter in this. All right, let's wrap it. I'm not talking about perfection. I think you know that. We've talked enough about, about, about that uh, as especially these messages have passed. So we're not talking about perfection. We all still struggle with sin. We're sinners. We wrestle. We deal with things. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's just who we are. We deal with that. We're saved by grace, but we still struggle with sin. We still wrestle. So we're not, we're not talking about perfection. But we are talking about a consistent layer of relationship with him, being our king, being our Lord, being number one, and for that to be evidenced and for us to actually be able to articulate and share testimony, not only of how good God is, not only of the three truths we've looked at today, the evidences of God about Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. But we should readily be able to express not only a moment that took place a long time ago, but the evidence and reality of Jesus being our life. How are you doing there? Are you able to articulate not only God's testimony about Jesus, but your story of Jesus as well? and the gospel and are you doing it or is it simply a Sunday morning exercise to engage in some kind of a worship service and then leave the rest of it and just go on with your week if that's the case and if you are truly a follower of Jesus he's got better for you than that and he wants you to open your mouth and share the reality of your life and your relationship with him with believers and unbelievers. Will we?